This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters where we talk all things property and boy oh boy I've got a hundred pages of news articles, property reports and so forth sitting in my hand here. It's quite incredible how much news there is based on real estate at the moment and I thought I'd just run through a bit of a report on how things are going in the property market in this region followed by a number of community-based stories around uh, changes that are happening in Palmas North and then just follow on from there to see what else we can uncover during the time that we have available together. Thank you so much for listening today. Whether you're listening on a podcast or listening on the radio, it's lovely to have your company. So let's look at the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand statistics that just came out for October 2020. When these statistics come out, they compare the real estate market of October 2020 with 2019. So you can see what's happened in the past year. The headline reads, Auckland median house price hits the $1 million mark in October. Now, I know you might be thinking, haven't we heard that before? But actually, what they're talking about here is the Auckland region. That's the whole lot the median price, not just those particular suburbs like Auckland Central that are very high. So what's been happening? The median house prices across New Zealand have increased by almost 20% in a year and is now at a record median high of 725000 And that's up from 689000 in just one month. I mean, that's a $36,000 change. So where is this being driven? Largely it's been driven in the suburbs and it's largely driven by a lack of housing. Um, some standout areas or regions with record median prices include Gisborne, who have had a 34.1 increase in the last 12 months, Marlborough with 26.8, Otago 22.2, Wellington a 20.8% increase and Manawatu Wanganui 17.5% increase. So these are really some significant changes. And the median in Auckland City, 1.2 million. So really quite incredible. There were, in addition to Auckland, there were nine other regions and 28 districts that had record median prices. Manawatu Wanganui, record median price of 470,000. It was really quite stunning indeed. If we look at all of the housing outside of Auckland, and work out what the median's there, even those medians are up 15.4% from 520 to 600,000. And there's a map that the Real Estate Institute produces which shows all of these areas of change and everything is up. In fact, the area that was, I guess you could say, the least in terms of upwards movement was Canterbury, but that's still almost 10% higher in one year. So a lot of people that own property getting good equity building up in those properties and therefore able to lend again. Banks have been 
indicating that they're going to bring out LVR, that's the loan-to-value ratios, at 30% for investors. But let's take a moment to look at that. Will that have an effect to slow the market? In my opinion, it will have little effect in this region as the house prices, median house price year-on-year, year, for example, in Palmerston North, has gone up over 30%. So in one year of your house going up in value, you could reach that LVR ratio of 30% just through the equity in your own home. And many people buying investment properties buy using equity. So they don't need a 30% deposit. They just need sufficient equity to make that lending happen. So although they change the LVRs and it sounds good on paper, it'll have little effect, in my opinion, particularly in this region, on house prices. So let's look at uh, Manawatu, Wanganui. The entire region with a record median house price of 470 is up 17.5% on the same time last year. Sales volumes are up slightly, but listings in our region are down 11.3%. And that's really a little bit alarming given that the, uh, the number of properties out there to buy are very slim pickings while hundreds and hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of people, are moving to this area. So there's a dip in the number of properties available, and that really shows in that massive increase, particularly in Palmas North, of close to 32%. Which leads me on to this article, which was on stuff.co.nz in the Manawatu Standard. Palmas North house prices, we're talking just Palmas North City at the moment, they had a new record of 619,000 as sales numbers drop. That's all-time median house price, 32% increase since this time last year. It says that overwhelming demand was continuing to crash up against a years-long critical shortage of housing listed on the market, driving prices even higher. They quote Institute Manawatu spokesman Andy Stewart, and he said despite the demand, there'd been a sizable drop in sales numbers because there simply weren't enough houses available to sell. In fact, residential sales dropped 25% from September to just 115 recorded house purchases in Palmas North in October. Andy Stewart said, while the number of houses on the Palmas North market at any particular time had increased slightly in 2020, it was still often as low as 125 properties. Most real estate agents continue to report multiple offers on houses within a week or two of them going on sale, he said. And I can certainly mention from uh, personal experience, that's what I'm seeing as well, up to 14 offers on properties that have sold recently and usually with a minimum of about four or five. So really a difficult market. It's very hard at the moment for people to either buy a house or even just to rent a house due to the supply and demand problem. The median sales price is now nearly $200,000 above the average rateable value of Palmas North Homes. The general advice Stuart and other real estate agents have been giving to buyers is to put in their best offer straight away as there was little room to hedge your bets. Now I must uh, say that in my view that would be where you're in a multiple offer situation you should do that and uh, certainly most situations at the moment are. So the fierce competition for houses has drastically shifted the definition of affordable properties in this region. This time a year ago, 26% of sales were under 400000 However, this year, only 4%, that is the month of October, 4% of sales 
under 400,000. So really some pretty big changes. If we look at fielding, the median house price rose 20% from a year ago to $541,000. Foxton and Foxton Beach hit four forty one and four ninety respectively. So again, it just keeps going up and up and up. So what to do about this? Obviously more houses are needed. So this article from the Manotu Standard says, Whokorongo development could help ease Palmas North's housing crisis. So housing providers are being invited to team up with the Palmas North City Council to help build more affordable homes in the city. The council is close to developing sections from Lander Owens at Tamakuku Terrace, the newly named subdivision that will trigger residential development at Whokorongo. Housing portfolio councillors Susan Beatty and Lorna Johnson have won support for the bid to find a partner in the project to guarantee that some new homes are affordable ones, and this is good stuff. Council staff have agreed that the design of the new subdivision with smaller sections and traditional greenfields developments would encourage a choice of housing types and prices without further council intervention. Of the 114 sections, 15% are 300 square metres or smaller and 40% are 400 square metres or smaller. So really quite a change compared to the traditional model of, um, well, it depends how far we go back, but if we go back a while, they were about the seven or 800 square metres, and, of course, if we go back further in time to the Kiwi quarter acre. So now they're saying, well, what we need are smaller sections, smaller homes. So for the most recent subdivisions in Kelvin Grove and Orkalthri, average section sizes were about 700 square metres, which tends to encourage the construction of larger and more expensive homes. So the latest version of the district plan and the supporting structure plan for Whakaronga were expected to encourage a diversity of housing, including smaller homes. But the city councillors have been reluctant to leave it to the market. Johnson said the housing shortage in our city was acute and affordable affordability was getting worse. She said 145 household groups are currently living in emergency accommodation or motels and there were 400 people on the council's waiting list for social housing and more than 500 for state housing. So really considerable, it's over 1,000 people. So Johnson said the numbers did not stack up to support the council building houses itself, but another organisation could work with the council. So it's interesting to see where that will go. Uh, Hard to know where the price tag for affordability would be. Uh, staff did suggest at the council about 425000 which would be the lower 25% of the market. Now other things that can affect the market of course, certainly in terms of price, are the building of infrastructure in certain, and amenities in certain suburbs. So this next article is about the, uh, in fact, the count. Um, the Countdown's uh, giant $50 million distribution centre near Palmas North Airport, the fact that it is forging ahead, this will mean that uh, a lot more workers will be working on that side of town, and this can affect prices in the likes of uh, Kelvin Grove, Bunnythorpe, Roslyn, etc. So the Acting General Manager of Format Development and Property for the parent company Woolworths New Zealand, Matt Granger, has updated city councillors on the project and the pending $15.5 million Pioneer Highway Supermarket, which when that goes ahead will also lift house prices in that area if history is anything to go by. 
Granger said the 39,000-square-metre distribution facility is on track for completion in August 2021. You can see it being built if you're out near the airport. If you want to go for a drive through some of that area that will be um, the sort of distribution hub. There's currently 100 people working on the site at Alderson Drive. And then another $13 million would be spent uh, fitting it out. Now Woolworths does currently have its Marco Marco Road depot and that will probably be sold. So it's increasing staff, it's increasing the handling of what can be done. All trucks would be loaded and unloaded inside the building which would be kept at an ambient rather than a refrigerated temperature. Granger said the facility will generate considerably more vehicle movements in the area and the company had supported council proposals for lower speed limits. Moving to the other end of town, work is due to begin within weeks now on the Countdown Pioneer Supermarket on the former Awapuni Hotel site opposite Amberley Ave. Just for interest's sake, the first phase of the retail development would cost about $15.5 million to build and $6.5 million to fit out. So it will support 50 jobs during construction and 80 jobs once the store opened with the adjoining cafe. The intersection outside the supermarket car park will be upgraded to traffic lights, which sounds like a very good idea to me. A later second phase of, of development would include a group of shops on the front corner of the 8.8 hectare site. Granger said although the designs were still being refined, tenants were likely to be food, beverage and convenience stores, but not a liquor store. Mayor Grant Smith has said it's encouraging to see so much investment in the city. The distribution centre of uh, Countdown will be bigger than the Easy Buy building and it's a great fit with the city's role as a logistics and distribution base. And the jobs created out there and Awapuni were great news for the community, uh, Mayor Smith said. So what else is happening? Uh, Mercury's wind farm is starting to rise above Palmerston North and again this is another area where there's a lot of people working on this, creating again strains on housing. So about 100 turbine blades have already been delivered from Taranaki to Rangitiki Street while hubs, nacelles and drivetrains are on their way daily from Napier to Keith Street. So within a month all the major parts of the 60 turbine $450 million wind farm will be in New Zealand. What a logistical feat that is, by the way. But the transmission line for the wind farm is almost complete and visible for the city. The tower bases for the northern group of turbines are starting to rise from their foundations. But Festa's senior project manager, Ken Wood, still has one puzzle to get the whole thing together, and that's the challenge of getting the giant 55-metre blades up the hill. If you haven't seen these, you can drive down Rangitiki Street and uh, view those and to see how large they actually are. So an access road is under construction to bypass the tightest bends on the Pakiatua track, um, and that that, uh, road actually slipped at the end of August, so it needed to suspend that and to build it back up again. So really that's uh, going along there. It doesn't actually say in here how many jobs uh, have been created in the area for that, but it's certainly a substantial undertaking. Probably a little bit more uh, local news just before we go to, to a bit of a song is that Keisha Birch could be taken over by the Palmerston North City Council. So Palmerston North's historic Keisha Birch house down there near the lagoon could be managed by the City Council in the future and its trust board disbanded. So in a proposal, the trust chairman Grant O'Donnell described as a rupture based on no credible evidence. The council suggesting it would be more cost-effective to shift the daily management in-house. 
The Council's Arts, Culture and Heritage Committee met recently and they're seeking public submissions on the preferred option, a council takeover. In the report uh, presented by Strategy and Policy Manager Julie MacDonald, council staff estimated they could do the job at a saving of just over $23,000 per year. Now, Acacia Birch recently actually celebrated its 125th anniversary and was the original homestead of Norwegian settlers and it was also used as Governor Lord William Plunkett's home. It's been used as army accommodation and a convalescent home for war veteran nurses. And finally, by Massey University and Palmer's North Teachers College until being handed back to the government in 1975. And then it was gifted to the City Council in 1984. So the Trust Board was set up in 1991 and they succeeded spectacularly in doing it up and able to uphold the Category 1 status of the building and to make sure it's been used by the community. Uh, certainly is hideout often. And the interesting thing there is we'll just, see, we'll just watch that space to see if the council does take that over. Um, either way, uh, the future of that building is safe under its heritage listing, of course. So we're going to have a little break now. We're going to go to a bit of music and we're going to go to Culture Club and Karma Chameleon. <laughs>
You're back here on Property Matters with Greg Watson. It's lovely having your company today. Uh, you're listening to Property Matters on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo, Irirangi o Nga Tangata o Manawatu. And so we're going to move on now to some uh, landlording type news. This is the article that was in Stuff in the lifestyle section. It says, healthy homes can't come soon enough after a PowerPoint has ruled sufficient heating. According to a Northland community advocate, uh, Liz Cassidy Nelson found that the Tennessee Tribunal ruled landlords only have to provide a PowerPoint to meet heating requirements in Whangarei. Eventually, the healthy home standards will require landlords to provide adequate fixed heating in the living room, plus provide ventilation, draft stopping and moisture prevention. But while the new insulation standards were introduced from June 2019, the remaining standards will not be phased in until after June 2021. So the tenant, Chris Johnston, asked for compensation for lack of heating in the Onorahi home he was renting. Uh, the Tenancy Tribunal found providing a PowerPoint met the approved means of heating in Whangarei. So for rent arrears, Johnston was ordered to pay $2,860 and possession was handed back to Harcourt's Whangarei in the October 23 ruling. The ruling is a shocking outcome for tenants in the area, said Cassidy Nelson, whose organisation provides emergency housing and support for the homeless. At the very least, the, the landlord should be providing a heater that plugs into the PowerPoint, she said. The healthy home standards will help prevent diseases usually seen only in the developing world, such as rheumatic fever, which strikes Northland Māori children particularly hard by providing safe, warm and healthy homes for whānau, she says. We know that cold, damp homes can increase the risk of respiratory issues and other preventable health conditions such as rheumatic fever. And without a doubt, this act will save lives. And while the heating and ventilation standards do not come in until early next year, Cassidy Nelson said good landlords were already meeting new requirements. So this property was uh, rented out by Harcourt's Just Rentals Whangarei and the owner, Debbie Beasley, said in general the business was fully supportive of the healthy homes heating standards. We agree that many landlords are meeting the standards early and that we have many owners within our portfolio choosing to meet those standards before they are required, she said. However, in the Onurahi case, the owner chose not to install heating at the property at that time uh, or at the time which they were well within their rights to do so. Here's another one that didn't go the landlord's way, this article. South Auckland couple awarded almost $20,000 after garage floods for 23 months. This is a word of warning for landlords out there. This was under the stuff business and property section. So a South Auckland couple have been awarded almost $20,000 over a flooding garage which damaged a dressmaking business and left one of them sick. Imanu and Anne Avia experienced flooding early on in the tenancy at the Benmore Place Manurewa rental. And despite landlord Frank Grant hiring several tradesmen to fix the flooding after it first happened in December 27, 2018, the lined double garage, which was split into two rooms, continued to flood every time it rains, and the tenancy tribunal noted in a recent decision. And since July 2020, the flooding has resulted in the smell of sewage the day after. 
Anne Avia runs a dressmaking business from the garage and told the tribunal her belongings were water damaged. Photos supplied to the tribunal showed a layer of water on the garage's lined flooring in amongst Avia's belongings. The flooding had also damaged a large and valuable fine mat, adjudicator Nicole Walker said. Since working in the garage, Anne Avia has also suffered health issues, including asthma. A medical certificate was provided to the tribunal, and Imanu Avia said he had taken significant time off work to care for his wife. In the month before the hearing, he was only paid for two weeks' work due to all the time he'd taken off. Walker noted it had an impact on the family's income, but at no point had the landlord made any attempt to provide them with an abatement, that is, a reduced rent. She said that the Avias had not had full use of the garage, were disrupted by the flooding, and it had affected one of their health, and they were entitled to a rent abatement. The tenants were awarded over $15,000 in refunded rent and 700 in compensation for their flood damaged belongings. Walker also awarded the couple a total of over $3,200 in compensation for water rates, fixed water charge, leaking and exemplary damages for their health and safety. Walker commented on the flooding issue, or commented that the flooding issue remained unresolved after a 23-month tenancy and said the landlord should have taken more proactive steps to fix the flooding. That's the important part of this ruling, is to get things done quickly and properly and to consider reducing rent until it's done. The effect on Mr and Mrs Avery and their family was significant, she said. The public interest is that a part of the property that floods regularly should not be part of a tenancy, particularly when the family of two adults and six children rely on that space for a home business, storage and extra space for the children. So there's that ruling there, a considerable one there, $20,000. So just a, a word of warning for landlords, if something needs doing, do it, get it done and get it done quickly, particularly if it's health and safety related or if it's likely to damage the belongings of a tenant. And that's all we've got time for this week. It's been lovely having your company here on Property manage, uh, property Matters. almost said Property Management. Lovely having your company here on Property Matters. And we'll tune in next week and you'll be able to find this and any future podcasts where all good podcasts are found or at mpr.nz. See you next week. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the KiwiFruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.